John chapter 14, uh, as we continue into our look and study of the I am statements uh, that Jesus makes, um, he is at his or making his final preparations uh, as he is about to uh, be crucified. This is, in fact, 24 or 48 hours uh, right before uh, Christ is about to just be brutally slaughtered. Uh, like a lamb um, and make way for us to be right uh, into himself. And he's going to kind of address that and talk about that a little bit. And one of the things that I, that I find in this passage is, is right before Jesus is about to depart, he says some pretty interesting things um, in this text. And these were disciples that he's talking to uh, in the upper room and a lot of fear a lot of angst, a lot of the unknown uncertainty um, is inside of them. And Jesus is about to address it and really just kind of lay out a vision and a plan for them and in hopes that maybe you and I could look at this and see that um, we do have meaning and purpose. And Jesus is about to kind of lay that out uh, before us. And he does this in John chapter 14. I'm going to read just a, quite a few scriptures. And, and I want to just remind you that in just a couple weeks, um, I'm going to start asking some of you to help me out and read uh, this, the scriptures before I preach. Um, and so don't be afraid. I, I said you can't say no, but you can't say no. Um, it won't offend me, okay? just may offend the Lord. Hmm? Okay, there we go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Am I though? <laughs> All right, enough of that. (laughs) John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may also be. And, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, okay, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, here we go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me or no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I have the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep 
my commandments. And if that sounded like a riddle, it's okay. You're in good company, all right? So let's just pray over the reading of God's word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Once again, um, just for your, your word and, and in it that we stand upon, that it is the truth. Um, I, I pray, God, that it would uh, pierce our hearts, um, maybe bring our head knowledge down to our heart that we would believe. And that when we leave this room, we'll see how glorious and magnificent King Jesus really is. And that we would not only be hearers of the word, but also doers in Jesus name. Amen. So Jesus says to them in the middle of their angst, in the middle of their anxiety, depression, fear of the unknown, fear of the future. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Kind of a the understatement of the day. I mean, they're tucked in. They've, they've left their lives. They've left their jobs. They've left everything. And now Jesus is about to leave them. And he just kind of subtly and generally says, don't worry. Don't, don't let your hearts be filled with trouble. It just kind of seems a little, I don't know, like, really, Jesus? I, I've left my life. I've been devoted to you for a couple of years, and you're about to leave me. And now you say, don't be troubled by this. How can this be, Jesus? If you see what Jesus is doing, Jesus is really attacking something that you and I face on a daily basis. And if you haven't fa- been faced with it, you will be. And that is this idea and concept of anxiety, fear, doubt, questions, the, the, the fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in this. In their moment of despair, in their moment of really angst within their hearts, Jesus in their doubts and their questions, he doesn't like he doesn't give them the brow like Matthew would and, and tell them, how dare you question me? How dare you doubt? What's wrong with you people? No, he just says, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. Maybe you've come in here and you have troubled a heart this morning. You have, you have fear of tomorrow. You have, you have a lot of questions. You have a lot of doubts. God gives us one of the most incredible promises that he ever could. Don't let your heart be filled with trouble. Don't be afraid. This is why the Bible would over 360 times tell us, do not fear. Yet why is it inside of us all of the time filled with fear, filled with this um, idea of anxiety, of the, the, the fear of tomorrow? I would just present and suggest that a lot of times the reason why we fear is because we have overvalued something. Is that right? When you overvalue something, that's going to cause some anxiety. Think about money. If you have overvalued money, what's going to happen? You're going to be afraid. There's always going to be this sense of anxiety inside of you. Money's not bad. It's it pays the bills. It feeds our bellies. It, it maybe on occasion take you on a vacation. 
So money's not bad in itself, but what happens when you overvalue money, this is where fear presents itself. This is where anxiety comes up. If you have children, this is also a reality. Amen, parents? Overvalue them and your life will be filled with fear and anxiety. And I think you could take this really into any lane in life. When you overvalue something, here's brother fear waiting right there. And his cousin anxiety. They're going to be right there the whole time. And Jesus steps right into the heart of the matter. And he says, do not be afraid. I know that you've been with me. You've like left your life behind and I'm about to leave. So, so how is it and why then can Jesus say, do not be afraid? He gives them the answer to the why. It's because he's going to prepare a place for them. He's going to create and prepare this place. Now, this isn't this bad theology that we have that he's building me a mansion in heaven. How many of you were, were raised with that? Like, like I'm going to have a cabin in heaven. They would, they would not have heard it like this. Jesus is building me a house. Can it just be like one level? You know, I'm not into the stair thing. But they would have heard this differently. This dwelling place was God. He's preparing this place for them to be with him. And the only way to access that place is King Jesus, right? So this is why our hearts don't have to be filled with worry. This is why we don't have to be filled with fear. It's because Christ is preparing a place for us and he did that. And in 24 or 48 hours, he would be slaughtered and crucified on the cross, making access for all of us to be with him for eternity. Now, there are just a couple of questions that are about to arise from Thomas and Philip. Now, a lot of times we give the disciples a really bad rap, right? Like, how could Peter do this? You know, how could Thomas be so doubtful? I don't think he's so doubtful. I think he's just a very pragmatic person. Thomas asked the question in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I like Thomas. And, and, it's, and it's kind of comical because Jesus is like, bro, you've been with me for two or three years and you still don't get it? What is, like, really? I, I'm the way to the Father. I'm Thomas right here. I'm the guy in the classroom in high school right before the final exam Raises his hand is like, I still don't get it. And the teacher's loving response would be, if you don't get it now, you won't get it if I explain it to you again. You're just, and, and this is just the loving way of saying, you're just an idiot. <laughs> and I accept that to be a truth in high school because I was just an idiot. In fact, I barely passed high school, if you can believe it. Some of you are like, yeah, I do actually believe it. <laughs> well, I didn't ask you. And this is Thomas right here on the front row. But I like Thomas because he, he, he's like, enough of the riddles, Jesus. Can you just be very pragmatic and give me an outline? 
Okay, I'll take an outline. Can we do something on the big screen? Or can we have a whiteboard, Jesus? And can you please just tell us where are we going and how do we get there? I like this question. Because this is a question of of identity and purpose. This is a question of where do we go? It's vision. How do we get there, Jesus? It's a question we all ask in our lives when we're faced with some type of trauma or we're faced with doubts and questions. You're faced with this in college. Where do I go? How do I get there? You're faced with this in your job. You're faced with this with your families. You're faced with this question all of the time in many ways in your life. Where am I going? And how do I get there? In fact, some of you probably asked that question when you, walked, when you got out of bed this morning. Where am I going this morning? And how do I even get there? It's a question of purpose. It's a question of vision. Where are we going? And I think it, it's a question that begs to be asked in your own life. Where are you really going in your life? And how do you get there? It's a question that the church This local body of believers right here should be asking, where are we going? How do we get there? And I like Thomas because he asked this question. Jesus, I just need you to outline this for me and speak very pragmatic to me. Because I just have this question. Where are we really exactly going? And how exactly are we going to get there? And Jesus drops one of the most hated claims in our culture today, society, he says, okay, I'll tell you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where are you going? You're going with me. How do you get there? Me. Where are you going? Jesus. How do you get there? Spoiler alert. Jesus. And and that should be the answer. For all of us, it should be the answer for the church. It should be the answer for our local church. Where are we going? We're going with him. And, and how exactly is it? are we going to get there? Yeah, him. It's just Jesus. It's that easy. And even it says this, it says, man, if you just believe, that's all you have to do. You have to make this complicated. You don't have to have the whiteboard. You don't have to have a five-minute video explaining to you this. It's just simple. Believe in me. It's that. Where are we going and how do we get there? And Jesus answers this. And this is interesting because if I were in the final last moments with God in the flesh, I don't know if I would be asking that question. So I give Thomas a lot of credit here. I mean, my brain would go immediately to, are aliens really real, Jesus? Can you really tell us about black holes? My bank account's a little low, Jesus. Would you mind dumping a couple billion for me? Now, that's just me. Now, you all look like you are more righteous and dignified. So I'll give you some credit. But wouldn't you like, want to be knowing like, some secrets to life? Like, when you want to know, like, hey, when is Nero going to fall? <laughs> like, when do we get the guns out, Jesus? Like, I would be asking some very practical questions because I know that there's been some oppression within my people. And so I would be asking these questions like, hey, when can we overthrow Rome? 
That'd be great, Jesus. But Thomas gets it, though, really. When he asks that question, where are we going and how do we get there? And Jesus gives them this audacious claim that would have been just a bomb that shattered throughout Israel and the Roman Empire because of this pluralistic society where there are multiple gods, there are multiple ways to get there. It's funny how um, we're 2,000 years later and yet nothing has really changed at all. In this pluralistic society where there are multiple ways and multiple paths. And Jesus drops this bomb to them with the reality of it is I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is awesome because he goes on to say something that kind of puts some more weight on our shoulders. When he goes down to verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to prepare a place, and I'm the only way to get to that place. I'm the only way to get to that dwelling place of God, and I'll get you there. But when you feel like this is an overwhelming thing, when you feel like you're, you're questioning and you have doubts, Jesus, he gives us this promise of the Holy Spirit. Because doesn't it seem like Jesus is like, if you love me, keep your commandments. And I'm like, bro, I can't even keep one in one single day. Doesn't it feel a little overwhelming what he's saying here? If I just would have read verse 15, I would have thought there's no way that I can keep any of these commandments. I mean, how many of you can keep all of the commandments of the Bible? You can't. The only thing it's going to reveal to you is how sinful you are. And so Jesus is like, yo, if you love me, you'll keep these commandments. But he doesn't stop there. How are we going to do any of this? How are we going to keep this commandment of loving Jesus, of, of loving our spouse, of loving our children well, of loving our co-workers well, of loving our neighbor well? Like, how are we going to do this when we just feel like we don't want to do it anymore? Insert the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what drives you and keeps you going. The Holy Spirit is what empowers you to keep on going and to love Jesus that's how you do this. And the Holy Spirit is there to, to help you get to Jesus and to be with him forever. And he says, I'll send my helper, the Holy Spirit, because you're not going to be able to do this. So I'll send Holy Spirit. And we know that this is true because 40 days later, Jesus ascends to heaven and he kind of reminds them of this kind of purpose and vision that he has for their life. When he goes up and he says to them, go make disciples and teach them the way. Just teach them my commandments. It seems like this is just kind of springboarding off of what he's telling them here. 
that he's the only way and how you're going to get there is Jesus. And he ascends and what happens? Holy Spirit comes, ushers in the church and the church is born. And their call is to go and make disciples. He goes on to say, I'm going to back up in verse 12 because I don't want to skip over this. Because this is kind of a verse, one of those verses that can be misinterpreted. And he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let me just talk about this just for a second. The greater things. What is the greater things that Jesus is talking about? Has anyone, let me ask this question, and I'm praying to God you don't say what I think you won't say. Has anyone raised the dead in here? I mean, you may have performed CPR, but is that technically telling someone, you're not allowed to be dead anymore, please get up? Anyone? Okay. So what are the greater things Am I supposed to be raising the dead? Because I don't know anyone who's raised the dead. I mean, anyone will take a jab at this. I think I know the answer. Have you walked on water before? Anyone? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. And you should repent of your sins right now. Anyone cast out legions of demons? Any others prayed with such passion as Jesus prayed? So it begs the question, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, I've lived a devoted life to you. I have followed you my life. And if those are the greater things, then somebody's lying. What are the greater things? You You want to know what the greater things are? It's the gospel. It's this idea of going and making disciples. That's the greater things. And listen, there's nothing wrong with signs, right? There's nothing wrong, like if you do know someone who's raised, that's great and fantastic. I'd like to talk to that person. Nothing wrong with that if that does happen. But there's nothing like the miracle of someone being snatched out of the death grip of hell and being saved and led into an eternity with Jesus, what are the greater things that you and I are supposed to be accomplishing? It's telling people that Jesus is the way. It's telling people that he's the truth and he is the life. And there is no other way. That's the greater things that we are supposed to be accomplishing. That's our purpose in life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You, you want to know where you're going, Thomas? You're going to eternity, but, but make no mistake, you better be grabbing some folks to go with you. You better be proclaiming this offensive message to King Caesar that he is lording over with his iron fist. And you better proclaim to him that I am king and that every knee will bow to me. You better go preach this message, this good news that Christ has saved you from the grips of hell. 
into an eternity with him. That's what our whole purpose is as a church. It's nice to have a little vision written out and, and to talk about these things and, and strategize it because that's how some of your brains work. But Jesus here lays it out pretty clearly and it's very simple. It's just me. I met. Jesus is. How do you get there? Jesus. What are you supposed to be doing in the meantime? I'm preaching. Go, go and telling people the good news. But what happens when we don't, we don't feel like what happens when we're questioning? What happens when, when I just feel like all these questions and they're, they're, they're clouding my mind? What do I do? Holy Spirit. See how much weight this takes off of you and the freedom that Christ is offering here? I want to offer just three objective questions. I've never done this before, so you should be proud. Three objective questions, especially to this statement, because I want to do this with this statement, because it is such a, a hot thing in our, in our society that surely there has to be multiple ways, right? And so there are three questions that I, that I ask myself or that I've, I think maybe you're here and you're asking these, one of these three questions. And if you're not here with these three questions, you will be presented with one of these questions. Jesus is telling them that I am the only way. I'm the only one that can get you to there. I got everything. I'll prepare. You just come on and believe. And so when we think about this in, in terms of the cultural context that this is in, if someone is going out and preaching that Jesus is the only way, they're likely to get killed. And as a result, we have martyrs that were saying Jesus was the only way and Jesus is our king that we bow our knee to. And so then there has to be some questions that come to your mind. Maybe they don't. Isn't it dangerous to claim that Jesus is the only way? Maybe that's a question you have, or maybe that's a question you've been asked. Is it dangerous? Because it seems like we've just introduced fundamentalism. And some of you know that fundamentalists can be problematic, but not this type of fundamental because it is not the claim we are making. It's a claim that Jesus is making. It would be more dangerous for me to tell you there are multiple ways. And I, I think I could explain it like this. Let's say your house is on fire, but I explain it to you in this way. There is a slight glow coming from your home. And you respond by saying, oh, I think that's just my personality. Thank you. Meanwhile, you have children in your home and it's engulfed in flames and they're dying. That's dangerous. The way you wrap that message. Because you don't want to offend. You don't, and I'm not saying you be a turd about this message either. It's more dangerous for you not to speak truth and love than it is for you just to just kind of put lipstick on a pig. Because that's what you would be doing. In fact, I would suggest that Jesus dying, and I get this, for his enemies. I mean, that's, that's pretty absurd. I ain't dying for no enemy. 
right? And probably not going to die for you either. Maybe my, my, my family. But Jesus died for his enemies. And guess who that was? If you're a believer, that was you and I. Jesus died for them. That's not dangerous. It's beautiful. That we would claim that Jesus would come and die for his enemies is not a dangerous message. It's what makes it a beautiful message. It's only dangerous if you don't preach the message with truth and love. How about the the idea of arrogance? Like, isn't it arrogant to claim that Jesus is only one way, the only way to God? Isn't it arrogant to say that we have the truth and everyone else is wrong? I guess if you paint it like that, it probably is. I like what G.K. Chesterton said. Really old guy. He's dead. Brilliant thinker. I would encourage you to read G.K. He says this, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been reversed. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. That's a pretty funny quote. It was in the 1800s. Funny how this has aged so well. Truth is not about pride. It's not about arrogance. It's not about humility. Truth is just about facts. That's what truth is about. It's not about us being arrogant about it or, you know, or, or any of that thing. It's just that it is a fact. And it's not that I am claiming this fact from, from my perspective. It's that I'm claiming this fact from Christ's perspective. What about the question of, isn't it, and here's, here's one you'll be asked, and, and I've been asked this before in, in, in some way. Isn't it more inclusive to claim that all good people go to heaven no matter what they believe? Aren't we being unnecessarily exclusive? Can we just say, that all good people go to heaven? Like, why do we have to just, like, shut it down? Like, why can't we just say all good people go to heaven? Well, then I don't know. Then I guess Jesus died on the cross for nothing. You know, in the Bible, you're never mentioned as a good person. You're actually an enemy of God when you're outside of Christ. In fact, Paul would say you're dead. I mean, there's encouragement for you this morning. In a way, it is, does present itself to be inclusive. But Jesus presents it to be exclusive because who is it for? Huh? Who is this message for? Anyone. So it's inclusive that Jesus is the only way, but it's exclusive because this is for anybody who would just what? No, he says this repetition is a key in the Bible. He says about five times, just believe. That's all you got to do. Just believe. And so while this does 
seem like it is an inclusive message, Jesus gives it for whoever would just believe. There are no multiple ways to God. There are no multiple paths to God. And it isn't you do, you boo, as in society would lovingly tell you. That's the damning message of today. That's the damaging message today. The message of Jesus. And this isn't my message. This is his claim that he is the only way. And he is the truth. And he is the life. There is no other way to God, to himself, to an eternity with him. There is no way to satisfaction. There is no way to fulfillment outside of Christ. He's the only way to get there. And the message that we have is that Christ is the way, but all are invited. Just believe. That's all you have to do is just believe. You will not find satisfaction in all of these pluralistic ways to God. They don't lead to life. They lead to death. And Jesus gives the most absurd claim that he has made yet. That he's the only way. He is the truth and that he is the life. And outside of him, the way is the way to destruction and death. That's what Jesus is presenting to us. And boy, if you're Thomas, you're like, dang, Jesus. How I ask, where are we going? You know, I didn't want to know where, how we're going to get there. And I love Jesus' response to them because he's just, man, it's, it's just filled with such grace, right? Because he's just, he didn't slap him over the head. He's just like, just rebuke him and shame him. Like we think God would do when we're questioning and doubting and, and we're in the moment of fear. He doesn't do any of those things. He just takes us by the face. And just, man, just keep your eyes on me. Because I'm the only way. I'm the truth. And I am the life. And you believe this, Thomas. You believe this, Philip. You believe this, to those who were in this room. And you believe this, like the promises, you'll do greater things. You'll see others join in with you. And for 2,000 years, God has yet to fail on this promise. Here we are, enjoying the luxury that we have today based on this promise of the greater things. And he didn't fail. His promise never failed. Though the church has given itself some self-inflicted wounds, the church hasn't failed because Christ is at the center of it. And he will not fail. And he tells us today, as he told, told his disciples, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe, you will see greater things. I don't know about you, but I want to see some greater things in the city. I want to see dead lives raised in Christ. I want to see hearts transformed by the power of the true living gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm after. And Jesus just gave a vision for his church. And he invites us to step in. Where are we going and how do we get there? It's Jesus. That's where we're going.
and we are to go see greater things. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you.